You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. Like a Doppler effect. <laughs> Very poorly done. <laughs> Welcome back, Daniel. Hey! Just so people can have an image in your mind. That was Daniel literally moving from left to right in front of his microphone, <laughs> making noises. <laughs> Welcome back, Daniel. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, it's good to be here. Sitting at the table, I popped in. Was that last week? Yeah. And there was kids at my spot. Yeah, there was. <laughs> yeah. Now they're gone. We kicked them out. <sighs> Good. It's like I can't have that. Never to return. <laughs> Don't like that. Yeah. But we enjoyed. <laughs> my, we we enjoyed your cameo. Taking my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, enjoyed your cameo last week. It was really fun. That was but fun. it's great to have you back. And all we needed was a little bit of a Mariners debacle to oh. inspire you yes. to return from your maternity <laughs> leave. So I'm very glad you're here. It was mid rant. I feel like in our messenger group, just I'm gonna be on the show this week. <laughs> Actually, the face that you just made is the way I pictured you saying it when I read the text. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. We do. We are going to get a chance yeah. to do that, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. I'm going to barf all over this excited. thing. But <sighs> first, let's get it going with the two-minute drill. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Hello. Got to hurry. Got to hurry. Got to hurry. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds. Hand the ball to ref. Gun duel right. Gun duel right. Three jet Buckeye. Don't worry. Three. The two-minute drill starts now. Texas and Oklahoma are going to switch conferences in 2025, leaving the Big 12 for the SEC. Daniel, is this the first step towards super conference system in college football? I'm not sure if it's the first step. I feel like it's more like the fourth step, right? I mean, it feels like this is, I feel like they've been moving in this general direction for a while now. I can't point to those specific steps, maybe adding Utah and Wow. Colorado Colorado. to the Pac-12. That was one of the steps. I feel like there's been a... This seems like it's been happening, and this is a big domino to fall. It's a big step, Mm -hmm. because those are two big schools heading to the SEC, again, making that conference even bigger and harder, except for, you know, the eight teams that are garbage at the bottom of it that just get stomped every year. Kyrie Irving apologized to his fans via Instagram for the style of his soon-to-be-released signature shoe, the Kyrie 8s. <laughs> Not only are they a very unoriginal name, Irving called <laughs> Nike's design trash and said Nike plans to release them without his okay. Justin, is Kyrie out of bounds? I'm going to take the unusual step of defending <laughs> Kyrie Irving on this one. No, he's not out of bounds. No. Because not only is Kyrie Irving a basketball player who really cares about um, his fans and the game, he's also a sneakerhead. Like, more of a sneakerhead than the sneakerhead basketball players all are as a whole. They absolutely should be consulting him before putting out a shoe that has his name on it. Speaking of out of bounds and trash, did you guys see what Jerry DePoto did this week? <laughs> Indianapolis Colts quarterback Carson Wentz is out indefinitely with a foot injury. 2020 fourth round pick and former Washington Husky quarterback Jacob Eason will likely fill in if Wentz misses time. Daniel, 
Is this the beginning of the Eason era in Indianapolis? Is it bad that I forgot who he was? <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw this as a headline and I was like, who's Jacob Eason? Why is he having an era? What's going on? Oh, wait, he's that guy. Yeah, this isn't going to last. Wentz will be back. I think he's going to be pretty effective. I think Eason is destined to be a backup in the NFL. I'm not sure about this era starting or anything like that going on. (sighs) The Colts will be just fine with Wentz at quarterback. (laughs) The Los Angeles Lakers have added another star to their roster by trading for Russell Westbrook. Justin, how will Westbrook... Sorry. <laughs> That's when Westbrook takes a break. Restbrook. Yeah, Restbrook. Yeah. Also, I was thinking of something funny and probably not appropriate to say. How will Westbrook fit with LeBron and Anthony Davis? <laughs> now, I want to hear this because this oh, is going to be terrible. Fine. So fine. I, I feel LeBron's going okay to actually, be like the Westbrook fact that might actually like kick him in the knee. The like, fact that he buzzed me and now there's no pressure of the music means I can just take longer to answer this question. Oh, great. So <laughs> I think in for the regular season, this might actually be a pretty good move considering the fact that when this past season, when LeBron was on the floor, the Lakers had the second most efficient offense. And when he was off the floor, they had the third least efficient offense. So he needs to have someone who can help. And they tried to bring in Dennis Schroeder and it didn't work. He needs to have someone who can help facilitate so that he doesn't have to do it 48 minutes a game. So I think over the course of the entire regular season, it will help LeBron to have someone shoulder the load. The problem is when you get into the playoffs and you're planning on having all the all three of their big guys, their main guys, playing on the floor at the same time, all of them are best from 15 feet and in. Like, they can also, like, besides Westbrook, who is the literally the worst high-volume three-point shooter in the history of the NBA, <laughs> LeBron and AD can actually step out and shoot a little bit, but you don't want either of them to be the best shooter on your team. So... They had spacing issues already last year. Now they crammed in another guy who's going to have more spacing issues. You might say they'll have a space jam this upcoming season. You might say that, but should you? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So I think I think uh, I understand why they oh, made this move. Man. The problem is since I'm rooting for LeBron and he's making it harder and harder all the time. Yeah, man. going to the Lakers and then recruiting like one of my least favorite players in the NBA and Russell Westbrook. But I spent the whole day leading up to that trade thinking they were getting Buddy Healed because the the initial reports were oh the Lakers are making a push for Buddy Healed. I was like. Awesome. Shooter, bucket getter, secondary guy, doesn't need the ball in his hands. It would have been perfect. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, it's not Buddy Heald. It's actually Russell Westbrook. And I was like, no. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. I'm just going to be so excited when LeBron's going up for a layup and Westbrook blocks him, (laughs) takes the ball, and then hands it to him so he can get an assist on said layup to get a triple-double. That will be my favorite. It will be interesting, though, to see see how he fits in with what they want to do anyway because he is a bad defensive player, and they're a good defensive team. And also, they're a team that kind of thrives in half-court offense, and he's much more of a fast-break offensive player. So... It'll be fascinating to see how all these things fit together. Russell Westbrook is the perfect NBA player to just sit on some irrelevant NBA team and put up ungodly numbers and lose every night. 
He is perfect for that. He gives that team somebody so their fans can watch somebody kind of entertaining while their team just poops themselves often. That's that's what Russell Westbrook is for. Yeah. Because he was put on a team with two other MVPs and they couldn't do squat. Yeah, and then he played with one of those guys again and the two of them couldn't do squat. Yeah. He's played with – he had Chris Paul. Or no, that was James Harden. Never mind. <laughs> mixing, mixing up the guys I don't like. But I think – um, just you don't like Chris Paul? No, no. Oh, okay. You don't James like James Harden? Harden. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. James right. Harden played with Chris Paul. I was mixing yeah. up the guys I don't like. So yeah, it'll be. I mean, I still think the Lakers are going to be really good, but I don't think that this made them a more of a contender in the playoffs. But this is we don't need to talk about this any longer. Well, I want to get into what we want to talk about. I think I've got a show. thing for this. I think I've got a thing for this. Okay. It is now time for Daniel Hargrove. <laughs> To overreact. Yeah. So, That's an old thing. So Daniel. So Daniel. This was a very interesting week. Yeah, where I'm, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> the Mariners made some trades. The first trade made the biggest waves, and it was getting rid of Kendall Graveman. Yep. Who has been the best or one of the best relief pitchers in the entire league. Yeah, even though not getting to the All-Star game. Right, this yeah. year. So, and But also even more than that, he was a leader in the clubhouse, very well loved. It's a really young clubhouse, so he was able to bring these guys together, rally the troops. It was to describe the scene of what... Because they traded him to a team that they're playing against. Like, yeah. literally, it was, hey, I'm going to mo- go from one side of the field to the other, and we'll just trade jerseys. Yep. And to describe the mood of the players in the clubhouse as devastated feels accurate to me. Like, it looked like someone died. Mm -hmm. And watching Kendall Graveman react to it, too, he just went to the leader of the division and one of the best teams in the league, and he looked like he was going to (laughs) cry. So, Daniel... He did cry. So, tell me... In an interview. How how did all that stuff hit you, and did anything that happened after that make you feel better? Well, that trade was the trade that I've been the most upset about happening... As it's happened, as I've been in a long time. Because there's been, trust me, there's been terrible trades before where I get upset later. Or maybe I don't like that trade. Like, did I want them to trade Adam Jones for Eric Bedard? Probably not. But at the time, Eric Bedard was really good. And Adam Jones hadn't done much. And I didn't like it. But I didn't hate it at the time. As much as I would hate it later, you know, when Adam Jones was amazing and Eric Bedard was crying about having to pitch five innings and then being gone really quickly. This trade ticked me off more so than what it was baseball-wise because of what Jerry DePoto said the week before in an interview. He said, this team has earned the right to be added to to make a push for the playoffs. And then the first move after that, he sells his best reliever to the division rival. Not that I've heard so many people say, oh, well, they're not really competing with Houston this year. They're not trying to catch Houston. So giving them a good player. You know what they did do, though? They played Houston 11 more times after sending him that. So even though they might not have that as a goal of catching Houston and being the division winner, you still have to try and win some of those games to catch up to Oakland, to catch up to Tampa Bay or Boston or whoever the other wildcard team is, they still play Houston nine more times and you just help them fill their biggest hole. So I get 
trading him to somebody who wants a reliever for their playoff push, but not in your division where you have to play that team nine more times. It's insane. But anyway, you say, yeah, you have the right, they've earned the right to be added to, and then the first thing you do is you get rid of their best reliever. That's not adding to you. Like, that's not making a push. That's making a future move, which is what this was. They wanted Toro. He could be good. Great. That'd be fine. But that wasn't a now move whatsoever. And then he even goes on to say that this wasn't a stand. It might not make sense as a standalone move. What the heck does that mean? So then they end up trading a young third baseman and Chargois for a closer who everybody's like, okay, now it's okay. It's like, why is that okay now? Hey, this guy's not as good. I don't care what everybody tells me about how he's actually better, even though his ER, even though he gives up runs, he's actually better. No, a closer, your one job is don't give up runs because then you lose, as we saw (laughs) last night with the walk-off bomb that he hit or that he gave up. It's like Graveman was at a point in his season And then they're like, oh, but Graveman's a free agent next year, so you'd have to pay him more. So? You're paying your roster dirt right now. When you're you're planning to make your push, you're planning on paying people. You can't not pay people. So next year, you're planning, that's like when DePoto's saying, okay, we're going to be a playoff team is next year. Yeah, you know what you're okay with spending on, on a playoff team? Closers? A grade A closer. Oh. Exactly. So, yeah, pay him next year. And you know what you're going to have to do with Diego Castillo next year? Pay him in arbitration, which he'll be worth a lot. So he's due to get a lot more money next year. Even though he's club control, he's going to be a lot more expensive. It's absolutely asinine the way that people are working around this to be like, even the people who are just like, oh, it's a pure baseball deal. I'm okay with this. And it's like... Not if you're going off what DePoto just said, which is this team deserves to be added to, and then you literally get rid of your best bullpen arm. I know they have other good ones, but you get rid of your best one, and you give them to a team that you'll have to play nine more times while you're trying to make a push for the playoffs. It's mind-boggling. It's the most double-talk thing I've ever heard, and I've loved DePoto this entire time, but... And I'm sure that, you know, I'll be fine with him later. But this seemed like he said one thing and did another, and it was completely pulling the rug out of, out of, from under the team. And it absolutely just pissed me off so much. I can't even express how mad I was when this happened. And then the trade for Castillo, it's like, kind of makes it okay because at least you got a bullpen guy back. But you're still at a net negative. And it's, you didn't, you got a fifth starter kind of guy. Like your deadline was a complete bust after a horrible decision. Like, so you went from starting off the deadline terrible. And then he was like, oh, well, it'll make more sense later. And you're like, okay, it kind of makes sense that you got Castillo and you got a starter at the end. But then you couldn't get anything done to actually help this team. You know, you you didn't get – you got a, an innings eater and a guy who can play second base who started off pretty well, but over 300-plus at-bats hasn't really shown you much. And so he might be good down the future. So I get that. But you said you were going to help to add to this team, and you didn't 
add to this team in a way to actually make a playoff push. So it just felt completely disingenuous. And to me, it felt like he straight up lied. So the the sentiment that I've seen a lot from people who I think are trying to make themselves feel better, at least on some level, is, hey, yeah, we you know you lost Graveman, and that was a terrible hit to Clubhouse culture and Clubhouse morale. Yeah. But if you look at the trade deadline as a whole, you lengthened your lineup a little bit because it was pretty bad at the end. So lengthened your lineup a little bit by adding Toro. Yeah. Um, which is good move for a little bit of a good move for this year and possibly a good move for the future. Um, you added Castillo, or who I thought his name was Castilco at first, because that's what <laughs> Andrew texted to our group at first was Castilco. And I was like, oh. Castilco, that's a name I've never heard before. Is he I Russian? wonder what nationality that is. <laughs> anyway, um, people are looking at it going, okay, you lengthened your lineup, you added a fifth starter, which is something you desperately needed, and you added a reliever who should be able to fill the hole Probably not quite as well, but similarly to what Graveman could. So your roster is marginally better this year. I've been seeing that sentiment a lot. Like, hey, this sucked to lose Graveman. It was a hit to clubhouse morale. But for 2021, the roster is marginally better than it was before he started the deals. But I I feel like you're saying you disagree with that. I do. I do disagree with that. Because in my mind, you picked up a, a second baseman and you're just now getting Fraley back. Off the, off the injured list or the COVID list, mm-hmm. and while he plays outfield, that frees you up to have an outfielder DH more. So you don't have to have Ty France as your first baseman. You can have him play second. I mean, second base. He's not the greatest defender, and I don't. Let me. Let Are me. You talking about re- France or Toro? Yeah. So you have Toro now, so he's yeah. going to be playing second. Right. I feel like they could have filled that position with a bat in a different way. And they have been by putting Terenz at first, who's hitting, mm-hmm. and France at second. Mm-hmm. And I probably, I guess the change I would do is I wouldn't have three catchers. I'm sorry, Tom Murphy, you're a good defensive catcher, but you're actually so bad at hitting that it's not a Mike Zanino situation because you're not actually quite as good as Mike Zanino as a defender. Like, it's not the same situation. Like, yes, so you should have Raleigh and Torrens. I'm sorry, Murphy. You're a great dude. I really like having you on the team, but you're hitting like 180, and it's terrible, and you're not a good enough defensive replacement. So then you have another outfielder come in. You can fill those spots. You can have somebody play first. That's hitting. You can have France playing second. That's Kyle hitting. Kyle Lewis, maybe. Kyle Lewis is an outfielder. I, that's what I meant. Like so another he outfielder DH. Coming, coming in. Yeah, and he can DH and Terence can play first and Fraley or Fraley could DH. Like there's a way to get these bats in there to lengthen your lineup without adding mm-hmm. a second baseman is what I'm saying. For this year, mm-hmm. if you can't add a second baseman without trading away your best reliever. And that's the other thing. There was garbage teams trying to sell off their good second baseman for prospects. You could have done that. But no, you made a... A now for a next year guy and trade. And so that that's the thing that was frustrating. So I still think, I mean, are they maybe a, a little bit of a net positive if Toro works out? If Toro hits 200 or 210 like he has been for the most of this season, like then you didn't work out because you got a slightly worse reliever. I, I would say that if Toro works out, and if the bullpen steps up. 
it doesn't have to be Castillo, Castillo, Castillo. But, but but if if the bullpen struggles after this, then we're going to be going. Well, shoot, how many games have we dropped because of a bad bullpen? Yeah, exactly. That's a that's an excellent question. And your bullpen, if Castillo, he'll probably do okay. He'll probably do okay. I don't think he's as good as Graveman because I think Graveman's stuff was suited perfectly for a closer. Not only did he throw mid to upper 90s, but his fastball naturally sank, which is great as a closer because it's harder to hit a sinker out. Like, you're trying to catch up to it, and then it's also diving, so most of the time you're going to hit a ground ball. That's a great thing to have as a closer. Castillo does have a ridiculous two-seam fastball that he throws really hard, but why... You got to also wonder why are the Tampa Bay Rays who are in first place in their division getting rid of one of their so-called best relievers? Part of it is I have heard that the Tampa, like where most teams try to ditch guys before they lose club control, the Rays are so cheap, they try to ditch guys before they hit arbitration. So like knowing that Castilco was going to hit arbitration (laughs) next year, and like you said, was going to become much more expensive, that... I heard it speculated that that's why, combined with the fact that apparently they had implored him to get in better shape and he refuses to do it, yeah. those are the two reasons why they were like, oh, we're going to give him away for, as we would say, a half a bag of Fritos and a warm Coke. Yeah, and they gave him away, get in better shape is yeah. code for he's put on about 50 pounds in the last couple of years. And by the way, maybe that's the a coincidence that this has also happened at the same time, but his velocity has gone from 98 to 100 down to 95 to 96 mm-hmm. in the last That's couple of years. That's a huge difference. That's a that huge is. difference. And, hmm, yeah, maybe he won't be as effective as he was in the previous years, which all of the people I say going, oh, Castillo's better than Graveman, blah, 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 blah. Here's this. Look what he's done the last couple of years. Yeah, but look what he's done this year. This year, he's good. He's got like a 2.8 ERA, which isn't bad. But that's not an 089 ERA. Like this year you look at it and there's reasons why he's declined. It's not that he's just had some bum luck. His velocity has gone down. Mm-hmm. It's I'm so upset. And and the 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 thing that might be better, the Tyler Anderson move, the fifth starter they got. Yeah, that'll help him be marginally better, I feel like, but it's a fifth starter. And you know, they also could have done that without trading Graveman because he wasn't involved in exactly. that move at all. Exactly. So that like they're better they're marginally better now after the whole trade trade deadline because of that move. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to make the Graveman move. Like yeah. I, I don't understand it. And and they could have traded for Castillo. That's the other thing. They tra- they could have traded the same exact pieces for Castillo and kept Graveman. I think that Toro it, well, to Jerry to me, DePoto, Toro was a really important part of of all these moves and how they fit together because potentially not only did he want to lengthen the lineup or at least he could say he wanted to lengthen the lineup for this year but Toro also plays third and so knowing that there's a club option on Seager for next year and he's really expensive and there's a chance the Mariners might want to move on but even if they don't even if they do decide to keep Seager a couple years down the line you're going to need a new third baseman and so the idea is Toro has a high prospect grade he could be the third baseman of your future yeah he could be but you know what when you're gonna be if that's a couple years down the road that'll be smack in the mariners window to be trying to win a world series yeah do you want a guy who you're like maybe this guy will be our young up-and-coming third baseman or when you get to that spot do you want to go hmm 
maybe now's a good time to pay a lot of money for the best third baseman in the league who mashes and we know will have 40 home runs. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're going to want to spend money at some point. You can't fill every spot with a prospect because they're not all going to hit. And when you literally say the week before uh, this team has earned the right to be added to, and then all they do after you say that is beat the A's three out of four times mm-hmm. and then beat the Astros in the first game in one of the best games in the last couple of years yeah. for the Mariners. And then the first move you make is a subtraction right? for a guy who might be a little better this year and hopefully will be better down the road. I think that's... Go the, screw yourself, Jerry. I think Seriously. that's the thing is, is that if... If you're talking about buying and selling, when you're talking about buying, you're talking about making the team better now than it was yesterday. Whereas when you're talking about selling, you're talking about making your team better next year than it w- than it is this year, right? Like that's generally speaking. Yeah. And and when Jerry Depoto is saying they've earned the right to be added to this year, and then the first move he makes is a really big move. That is a sell. Mm-hmm. It is n- that move was not designed to make the Mariners better the next day. That move was designed or is designed to make the Mariners better next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's not what you were saying, and that's yep. not what. And then you I think most the f- of us fans wanted to see exactly. And you add in the fact that you made a team that is your major competitor and a team you have to play again a bunch better. I think the most interesting thing out of all this to me is, like you mentioned, Daniel, they were playing really well. They had won seven out of ten games. They had just swept the A's. They were they beat the Astros um, in a game that they came back from seven down. They won on an eighth inning grand slam. Against the Astros this bullpen. Was like that was so cool. Time, I watched that game. <laughs> all-time emotional high. Yeah. And you are a franchise in the Seattle Mariners that has been nothing but dysfunction and issues for the past 20 years. Like, every, around every turn, and the Mariners... this year. Yeah, but that's, that's what I'm saying, is around every turn, they have mishandled things. Players haven't trusted them. Um, they've mishandled people. And with the whole Kevin Mather thing from mm-hmm. earlier this year, where he went scorched earth on the whole team, my thought is, if you're Jerry Depoto you have to seriously consider the way that the clubhouse perceives the moves that you make because you already have great distrust with the players. The way that Kevin Mather went, said things about Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelenic. I worry. And Kyle Seeger and, and Marco Ky- Gonzalez. But like, specifically with yeah, the young guys. Because, yeah. because I've heard, and this was, I had a little conversation with Sean, uh, one of our f- good friends who knows a lot about Mar- the Mariners and baseball. Occasional yeah. co-host. On Facebook. Yeah, yeah occasional co-host. And I really respect his opinion. And he was saying he feels like it's, uh, he was upset at first, but he's calmed down to the point where he feels like uh, the only guys that are going to really have an issue with this are the guys who, like Seager specifically, who may not be around for the next couple years when the Mariners are supposed to be really good. I worry about if you continue to do things like this, like in the wake of the Kevin Mather stuff, because there's still wakes. Like the boat's way down the, the lake, but there's still wakes. Like there's still stuff happening, and there's still distrust in that – I worry about guys like Jared Kelenic and Julio Rodriguez four or five years down the road when the club control is done. 
why would they want to stick around somewhere that's super dysfunctional and you don't trust ownership when you have yeah. a chance at free agency? So I, I, and who knows what will happen between now and then. If the Mariners, yeah. winning will cure everything. Yep. If the rebuild works, they make it to a World Series in the next three years, those guys are probably going to be fine. But if that doesn't happen, you don't have that trust. You don't have that relationship. And so I worry about how these guys will feel and how it will affect their decisions in the future with yeah. this team. And the my favorite thing is seeing all the double talk with people trying to convince themselves that culture doesn't matter or tox, toxic workplace doesn't matter that much. Like, oh, you really think that somebody's not going to go there to play just because there might be a toxic work environment? Like, they're going to go where the money is or blah, blah, blah. And like, these are the same people who are constantly saying, oh, the Seahawks culture is so good. Everybody wants to come here because the culture is so good. I'm like, you can't have it both freaking ways. Yeah. It does matter to have a good culture. You can't have all of your higher-ups horrible. I mean, why do you think the Bengals are so trash all the time? And the Browns and all of these places, the Detroit Lions, they're trash because nobody wants to go play there because it's horrible work environment. Specifically with this team that's overachieving, the one of the things that people have praised Scott Service for is creating a great clubhouse culture. Yeah. And so then you've made a move now to undercut the one thing that was making your team so competitive this year, and that is that they play hard, they play for each other, and they had just that great team chemistry, that great team bond, and Graveman was a huge part of it. Yeah. So when you see things like Ryan Divish wrote a piece in the Seattle Times that had really good quotes from a lot of... Amazing. Amazing quotes. But really candid quotes from a lot of the players and one of them was jerry just sits up there playing fantasy baseball in his office he never comes down here he has no idea what's going on and this struck me as that kind of move this struck me the graveman move struck me as a guy who thought this might make us break even talent wise this year and be better talent wise in the future with more control but he had no clue like zero clue how it was going to affect the guys in the clubhouse yeah and he said that Oh, you know, I knew that, you know, it's hard when you lose a friend. You know, it's hard. I know it was going to be hard, but, you know, I've been a player too. And it's like, don't compare this to Austin Nola of last year. Last year, the team was in a different spot. They knew they were going to sell. And, yeah, Austin Nola was loved, but he wasn't like everybody's breaking down crying because you just traded away your best reliever. Like, Austin Nola was great, but... Your team was selling. Don't try and compare those two situations, Jerry. That was another time where he made that comment after this trade, and I was like, you two-faced piece of crap. Like, I again, I've been excited with how he's been building this team this whole time and all of these moves, but he is saying things and doing the opposite right now, and that's really ticking me off because while I think he's making smart moves most of the time, this time he said one thing and he did the opposite. Yeah. And then he tried to compare two completely different situations to try and make it better. And also, like, you're talking about a team culture and team dynamic. Yeah, let's trade away a guy who is coming back from, like, having tumors in his neck and working his tail off to come back from multiple injuries. Dude's jacked, has one of the best work ethics you've ever seen, and now you're the guy who you're replacing him with is a guy who won't even try and stay in shape when his whole job is keep your body in working order to like your body is your job as a professional athlete. And you just went from super Jack dude who's overcome so much adversity to play to a guy who can't keep from gaining 50 pounds in two years. 
that'll work great in your young clubhouse when all of your young stars are going, oh, I can, uh, I can let my body go, apparently. Like, come on. I think the other thing that I've heard... I feel like it's more likely that the young stars would just be disgusted with the front <laughs> yeah, for, seriously. For, like, Because I feel like... Oh, I thought you were like going to say Nick disgusted are, looking at Castillo. They're, they're, gym, <laughs> they're gym rats, and they're going to be like... They're staying in shape for themselves, and they're yeah. like, what? We're just getting guys that are freaking fat? Yeah, especially Kelnick. Yeah. Kelnick's a freaking workout nut. I think the one other sentiment that I've heard that bothers me the most is that, especially because I feel like the fan base as a whole, even me, who's like skeptical guy that's not going to get invested, I'm like, they're playing really well. They're gaining and beating beating the teams that they're trying to catch. Yeah. They were literally one game out of the wild card and playing better than the team that was ahead of them. Yep. And I'm like, okay, I think, you know, people are going, well, this really wasn't their year to compete. It's actually next year and beyond. So like, yeah, they could have made it in the wild card, but how many times have we seen a team get hot, make it in the wild card and make a long push? So you're the Mariners like number one thinking all you have to do is get in the playoffs and who knows what can happen. Yeah. But number two, just get in the freaking playoffs. You yeah. have the longest playoff drought in all of the major professional sports. Yeah. And the same people when when that's pointed out are like, yeah, that's happened, but this isn't like those teams. Of course it isn't, because yeah. it hasn't happened yet. Like, well, at, but, though at that time, yeah. you weren't looking at those teams coming into the wild card and going, oh, this team's going to go all the way now. Yeah, That's the but point. Also, people keep saying this is the first time in recent memory that the Mariners have had a, a, you know, might have looked like they had a shot to get. And it's like, no, they three literally missed it by one game three years ago. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a trade deadline people were upset about, too, because they were in the lead yeah. at the trade deadline. They were, like, on a path to the playoffs. Yeah. And then instead of adding, the team just sat around and did nothing. And yeah. that was, I think, where a lot of the distrust from Seager really compounded because, yes. hey, we we're have a good team. We're assuming We're... Assuming it's we're Seager. assuming it's Seager. He hasn't said anything publicly. His, although his wife, his, Julie Seeger, has been it, tweeting yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, but I think that's where a lot of that stuff started—not started, but compounded. Yeah, he could have existed in you know his entire career. It makes sense because he was the one that never changes. But well, yeah. who's the only person who's been here long enough to be able to say something like yeah. it's never changes? Sorry, Kyle, you're the only yeah. person. But well, then uh, the other thing is Daniel, and is, this is what one thing that I know you believe strongly is that. And we, I mean, we all agree on this, but I know it's like one of your main mantras is that like success is fleeting. So, you know, you were in a position you could have made a push and won this year and you're going to make all these moves to try to be better next year. You have no idea what's going to happen next year. Yeah. No idea. Exactly. I, I think part of it also is that at least on my part, I feel sympathetic to Seeger. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, it isn't just that... It's, He's he's been here. He's seen the Mariners absolutely waste Felix. Yeah. He's seen he's he's it feels like he's been here forever. But now now there's finally a team where there's young guys and it's exciting and fun to play. And then what do we do? We don't do anything. Exactly. I know. Or, this we, is, or we build for next year. I mean, the freaking Blue Jays who are behind you did more at the trade deadline to add to their team. Fruit Jays. Freaking Blue Jays. Fahoovu Gods. Fruit Jays. Come on, Fahoovu Gods. <laughs> Everybody to the limit. Everybody to the limit. 
Daniel, do you have parting shots on this before we go into Stump Daniel? Did you get to say everything you want to say? Let's see. I called Jerry a liar. Uh I said, screw you, Jerry. You did? Uh, I said he was Mm -hmm. two-faced. You didn't didn't post what Sean did, which I thought was funny, was the day after the trade he posted on Facebook, good morning to everybody out there except for Jerry DePoto. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I want to say about the Seattle Mariners... A, for the people who really don't know anything about baseball, manager Scott Service has nothing to do with trades. That's one thing I've seen randomly every now and then. Also, for those of you who think Scott Service is a terrible manager, you're insane. (laughs) You're, You're literally insane. Because there's no way that a, a team with this little expectations... All of the pitching injuries they've gone through, all of the other injuries they've gone through, people have forgotten that Kyle Lewis is even a Mariner. He's been injured for so long, and he was your star player who was supposed to be the anchor of this team, and he's been out, and yet you're a game out of the playoffs, and you have a you were 9 over 500 before your general manager started throwing bombs down into the clubhouse. You're insane if you think Scott Service is a terrible manager. He has pushed all the right buttons. The only thing you have to complain about is how much he pitched Rafael Montero during when he was trash. But when you have that happens all the time. That happens all the time when you have a reliever that you paid big money for mm-hmm. and you come in, they will get chance after chance after chance after chance cuz you know the talent's there. He's just sucking. And guess what? It happened. They traded him away. And that's done now. So you don't have to worry about him putting in Montero. But that is the only other thing that I've heard since I've been gone is people being like, oh, Scott Service is a terrible manager. If they only didn't have him, they'd be better. And I'm like, what what part of this roster of guys hitting 200 do you think should be better? <laughs> yeah. Scott Service, not a manager. He's a granager. Not a bad that manager. Was an he's, a, <laughs> he's not a bad manager. He's a great manager. Yes. And I absolutely. say, I mash those words together to save time. <sighs> Okay. Although you could argue that since I had to explain it, it actually used it more time. Definitely did not save time. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think I think now I've gotten everything out. Okay. And and also, I hope Abraham Toro is great. Mm-hmm. A for the team, but B, I'm so glad that he started out the way that he has because talk about a crappy position to be put into. Yeah. Like the whole team is so ticked off that their buddy that just here. got <laughs> traded away, and you're the byproduct of that. Yeah. That's got to be rough. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, let's go to my favorite part of the show. Serving questions up on a silver platter where the points are made up and the rules don't matter. Time for Stump Daniel. Daniel. Wait, Frump? Frump Daniel? Yeah, wasn't it Frump? Yeah, it was a freaking stump. Is that what it was? Oh, I thought it was a fun stump. A fun yes, stump. So that'd be fump. 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 It's a fun stump. It's a fump. Chunt. <laughs> wasn't it chunt at one point? <laughs> that was just me not being able to talk. Oh, right. <laughs> I think he said junt. Junt, Junt, Daniel. Because you almost said jump. Although I still think, and I know I've said this before, but we're going to do it one of these days. We're going to do a jump Daniel segment. (laughs) Where either someone will jump over you or you will jump as part of it. But I have to work out the details of how that works and make sure that we have... shark for him to jump over. (laughs) Jump the shark? Mm Mm-hmm. We have to have a medic uh, on hand if you're going to be jumping, though, just to make sure that there's first aid available if you need it. Um, I would need the same, so don't feel bad. But we're going to play a new stumped annual game called Close to the Hole. It's (laughs) golf-inspired. The scoring system is golf-inspired. So what I'm going to do, and this is a Seattle Mariners (laughs) trade edition. Do you want it? Should it be called Closest to the Pin? 
Uh, I didn't really give much thought at all to the name of okay. it. Okay, we'll, we'll forget the name of it. Close was, the, I'm glad it's not it, what I thought it was the first time I read it. I thought it was close the hole, and I was really confused and concerned. Actually, now that I think I about was, it... I was confused, concerned, and confounded. Close to the hole doesn't really even make a ton of sense because it's like, <laughs> it's par scoring. So like, it's about getting it in the hole, not getting it close to the hole. Close to the pin is more like a, you know, when you're playing... In a best turn- ball or yeah. whatever it's in a tournament or something yeah. bad job by me anyway right. here's how this works i have nine we have to do nine holes each hole has a well par. done thank there you we go there thank we you. go um what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna give you a mariner's trade that happened and you're gonna tell me what year it happened in Ooh. now here's oh, wow here's where par I'm comes gonna do in. so bad <laughs> no 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 see no i knew you needed a little wiggle room okay see, that's where par comes in so okay. if it's a par three if you get it bang on that's an eagle. If you get it one year off, it's a birdie. And if you get it... Wait, no, I did that wrong. No, you did If right. you're three years off, it's par. If you're two years off, it's a birdie. If you're one year oh, okay. off, it's an eagle. What's uh, higher than an eagle? A hole in one. An albatross. An albatross. Okay, so you got chances to is be over or under par here. It is real. Because I think because. it's unreasonable to think that you would know all these trades exactly on the year. So I wanted to give you a little wiggle room. That makes sense. And there's different pars. Like, the harder ones are higher. Okay. So... Andrew, an albatross is a hole in one on a par four or a two on a par five. I, I, that's the face that you saw me was making was me doing math <laughs> in my head, thinking, "Can you do that? And would it have to be a par six, or could you do it a par five? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's your first one. This is this is hole one. Okay, this is a par three. Seattle traded Taiwan Walker and Cattell Marte to Arizona for Gene Segura, Mitch Haniger, and Zach Curtis. Who's Zach Curtis? Yeah, I, don't, I didn't know that name either, but Gene Segura and Mitch Haniger, those were good pickups. Yeah, that, absolutely. Oh, boy. Par three, say, so get it within three years. Okay, I was going to say 2017. 2016 was when it happened, okay. but that's only one year off. That's a birdie. Is that a coin sign? That's, a, that's an eagle. Yeah! Eagle. You start with an eagle. Good job, Daniel. Okay, oh. here's the next one. Carlos Guillen to Detroit for Ramon Santiago and Juan Gonzalez. Now, you might think Juan Gonzalez was the great Juan Gonzalez. It was not. It was the Juan Gonzalez that never did anything. And I think it's also worth noting that Carlos Guillen, after departing Seattle, became a three-time All-Star. And Santiago, after playing 27 games in Seattle, went back and signed with Detroit as a free agent. So the Mariners basically got nothing out of this trade but lost a three-time All-Star. Oh, that was a brutal one. Yeah, this is a par three also, by the way. Gian was good for a long time. Yeah. I'm going to say that was like 2004. You just got a hole in one. Woo! 2004 is correct, Daniel. After two holes, you are five under par. Let's go. That's amazing. (laughs) Video game numbers. Okay, this one's (laughs) a little further back. It's a par four. Tino Martinez, Jeff Nelson, and Jim Messier to the New York Yankees for Sterling Hitchcock and Russ Davis. Russ freaking Davis. This is one of the worst trades ever. (laughs) This legitimately is one of the worst trades ever. Although Nelson did come back, though. Yeah. And was part of the really good 2001 team. Yeah. Oh, that was so painful. I'm going to say that was like 98. Well, you're within three years because it was 95. But what? it's a par four. We didn't trade Tino Martinez. and Did we trade him in the offseason right after the 95? Must have. 
No way. <laughs> what? Unless, Who was the general manager then? That guy was an be, idiot too. It would be completely <laughs> unprecedented for me to have something factually wrong in Stump Daniel. So, do we really right. trade Tino Martinez and Jeff Nelson, who were stalwarts in that? Wow, if they did that. I'm going to go with it, but okay, because I don't know otherwise. Well, Andrew can look it up for us while we're moving on to the next hole. But you are six under par after three holes right it. now. Take it. Here's the next one. <laughs> this is brutal. Par five. The Omar. other theme of this is the terrible <laughs> trades that have been made. I'm so sorry. The first one, you're like, okay, Mitch Hanager, Gene Segura. And it's just gone down pooper since then. It's pretty bad. Here's, here's oh. hole four. Omar Vizquel to Cleveland for Felix Fermin, Reggie Jefferson, and Cash. Dear God. <laughs> One of the greatest shortstops of all time for Felix for freaking mean. There's another really bad one in here, too. The only thing that makes this somewhat not terrible is they got Alex Rodriguez fairly soon after that, so yeah. that kind of made that not hurt as bad. But... Dude, oh, gosh, they could have had Omar Vizquel. Yep. That was like 90... Uh, I'm going to say 93. You are really good at this. Right on. Yes! 93. Daniel, what's it called when you get a hole-in-one on a par 5? On a par... <laughs> I don't think there's a name for that. Okay. I, uh... Yeah, I didn't know. I don't know if that's a thing. Okay, well, <laughs> you are currently. That is a heck of a drive shot. <laughs> you are currently 11 under par through four holes. Congratulations. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, next one. This one is. This is going to be a little painful, too. Yeah, December, December 7th, 1995 is when that trade went down. The Tino Martinez trade. That general manager should have been thrown off a bridge. Are think, you kidding me? I think he was. Um, this one's going to be a little painful as well. Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, not onto cement, like into water, but come on. <laughs> this is a par three, Daniel. This is a par three. And I feel like you're going to get this one right on too. Ken Griffey Jr. to Cincinnati for Mike Cameron, Brett Tomko, Antonio Perez, and Jake Meyer. Which, they had to trade Griffey. Yeah. I get it. but And Mike Cameron was a good player, but you're talking about one of the greatest players of all time. This doesn't seem like a good haul for that. It I think it wasn't a good haul for that, but it's understandable because of the way that Griffey was forcing himself out. Because of Safe Cofield. Be oh, yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about the curse of the kid? We, we should call it that, shouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. I think we should at some point. Okay. I'm not sure if we'll have time today, but Mike Cameron was a... My camera was good, but not... Gr obviously, the only saving grace in that is Griffey went on to, like, not have hamstrings. That's true. <laughs> but he would have kept his... I don't know. So uh, what year did that happen, Daniel? Wasn't that, like, 99? It was 2000. 2000. You're okay. really close. It was one of those One two. off. Uh, you're so far under par on every single one. It's Never pretty go. incredible. I don't it's think... an easy course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I actually think for most people that this would not have been an easy... If you had asked me before I did the research, what year did the Mariners trade Omar Vizquel to Cleveland? I would not have guessed 1993. <laughs> so, anyway. Here's the next one. This is a par three. Adam Jones, George Sherrill, Chris Tillman, Cam McColio... And Tony Butler to Baltimore for Eric Bedard. The fact that oh, we gosh. have to 
The fact that we had to throw in people besides Adam Jones. You know what's funny too? Eric the freaking Dard. But also, yeah, so people may not remember this either, but George Sherrill was like... He was a good He was like the best setup man in baseball during this time frame. Great left-handed arm. What year did that happen, Daniel? Par three. This might be the hardest one for me. Because there's a big dead space yeah. of Mariners irrelevance <laughs> from about 2006 to 2015 that it's really hard to keep track of. Exactly. I'm just going to throw out 2008 and hope it's close enough. Good lord, you nailed it. 2008. <laughs> this is an incredible run. Daniel is, is well rested from his time off. He's come back. His mind is sharp. I can't even count how far under par you are, 10. You're 16 under par. You got three holes to go. <laughs> I can't even count. Proceeds to count. Yeah. Okay, this one I had to get a little clarification on because I didn't understand it at first, but this is a par five. It's a little further back. David Arias to Minnesota for Dave Hollins. You may not know David Arias because he actually changed his name shortly after this to Ortiz. Oh, David Ortiz. What the French toast? David Ortiz to Minnesota for Dave Hollins. <laughs> Who, David Ortiz, if you don't know, went on to be one of the greatest sluggers of his era. And one of the greatest clutch hitters of all time. Why did he change his name? I have no clue. I didn't even know he did until literally today when I was looking this up. Interesting. I didn't know he changed his name. I remembered that he was in our farm system. Yeah. But what year did they trade him away? Par 5. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Because I don't even know if this trade would have been on anyone's radar really when it happened. No. Nope, not at all. I found out about it a lot, like, years, years later. Now, the embarrassing thing is, is I can't remember what year the Red Sox won the World Series. <laughs> yeah, is that so embarrassing? embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. I would not be embarrassed by that. <laughs> I'm going to say, like, 2007. Ooh, wow. You're really far off. Did I get a bogey? You got, what is it called when you have, when you're six strokes over par? Because oh, oh, it was no. 1996. Oh, oh so wow. it, see that, see I should have gone, wow, he's a lot older than I, how long has he been retired? I don't know. Okay, so I just went six tuple bogey on that one. Yeah, you did that. Your, your score is still overall really good. That I mean, hurts. you're way under par right yeah. now. But yeah, you but that was a tough on one. That hole. Yeah, that was a tough one. Um, if that one was tough for you, this one's gonna. I be went really in the tough. water a bunch. <laughs> this one, <laughs> it was the back hole on Highlands. So everyone's out of bounds. <laughs> this oh. one may actually be more difficult. Okay. This is a par four. Derek Lowe and Jason Veritek to Boston <laughs> for Heathcliff Slocum. Those, uh, and for those of you who don't uh, know, Derek Lowe and Jason Veritek both went on to be really, really good. Yeah. And Heathcliff Slocum was an extremely large man with a weird-shaped body who couldn't <laughs> seem to button his jersey up all the way. What? Just are you looking at a picture of him or something? Just, no. Justin, are, did you intentionally go out of your way to get bad no. trades? No. Is, is this just a list of trades that the Seahawks have made? This is the Mariners, not the Seahawks. The Mariners, thank you, sorry. This is a list of all of their best trades, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my. But I left the worst ones off. I, okay. That's not true. These are most of the worst ones. <laughs> Daniel, what year did they trade away those two great players for uh, round of mound? Mound of round. Got, round mound of rebound. They got Slocum for it? Yeah. I'm going to say like uh, 2002. 
Ooh, you're a bogey on that one. It was 1997. Okay. 1997. So I'm way so off on the Boston you, guys. Yeah, you've you've you're you started out super hot. You're leveling off here a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You think? <laughs> this is seven the, over in the last two holes. This one is this hole. This is the easiest hole on the course. All right. Guaranteed at least a birdie. Uh oh. I don't like I don't like it when you set the expectations high. <laughs> Can we go Seattle? back to Omar Vizquel? <laughs> Seattle acquires Jared Kellenick, Justin Dunn, Gerson Bautista, Anthony Swarzak, and Jay Bruce from the New York Mets for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz. I forgot we got Jay Bruce with that too. Yeah, I think that was a one year and gone yeah. thing. Is that 2018? You nailed it! Yes. Three under on that hole. Very good, Daniel. I could go through and count your score, but let's just say you did very well. <laughs> I had a hiccup. You had it one hiccup. Um, maybe a barf. It was more like a barf and a hiccup. You hit the ball into the sand, and you took a few strokes to get it out. Yeah. That's really what it came down to. But overall, that was a pretty solid performance in your first stump, Daniel, back from your That break. was fun. That was a lot of fun. Oh, I just got an update that said the Blazers will not extend Zach Collins' his qualifying offer. That's... Uh, well, it's understandable, but I'm just because he never without, plays. <laughs> yeah, I'm just disappointed with how that whole yeah. thing worked out. I was so excited for Zach Collins in Portland. Yeah, I think he's been good too, and he can get on the floor. Yeah, just yeah. But anyway, we will get into a little bit of basketball. We also have an athlete of the week, and I'm going to reveal the poll results from last week's show. But first, let's take a quick commercial break. Do you have a legal situation and need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Domashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit domashevitzlaw.com. That's D-A-M-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z-L-A-W.com. Welcome back. I'm Justin. Daniel's here. Yes. He's firing on all cylinders today. <laughs> He's sharp and well-rested. Our trusty producer, Andrew Gross, is here with us as well. The show is brought to you by Oli Penn Real Estate and the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. And we're going to go right into the Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week, which this week was nominated by an Aberdeen fan slash booster. Tyler Bates. Tyler Bates of Aberdeen won the USATF National 15 to 16 year old hammer throw. So this is a nice. national track and field competition. And he won the hammer throw with a throw of 150 feet and one inch, which got him the victory by nine inches, Ooh. which wow, pretty impressive. <laughs> um, Bates also finished in that same competition in eighth in the discus with a throw of 139 feet and finished 17th in the shot put as well. So a well-rounded athlete who is competing in all three of these throwing events. Bates also was a swimmer who we had mentioned at one point for, I think, I don't remember if he was winning individual events or if he was winning as part of relay teams, but he was a swimmer for Aberdeen. And I know that we mentioned his name on our program at least once or twice. Um, Also, just a side note, um, Bates is a sophomore. He's six foot three. He's a big kid. He's expected to start on the Bobcats offensive line this season. Andrew, how? Go cat. I was figuring he was a big kid with like shot put, hammer Uh throw, you know, those things. How often do really, like... How often do really big kids do well at swimming? It depends on how they're big. Uh, if you're long, okay. If you're long, you will be good at swimming. It same reason that clipper ships are long and thin. 
lo- the longer, longer and, and canoes. What is a clipper ship? Yeah, canoes. Okay. Long and thin in water long, is good. Long and thin in water is good. Got it. And even you can if you're if you can carry a lot of weight and still be long and thin in in context there. Gotcha. So. Okay. Have you guys gotten sucked into any of the Olympic competition? You know what's weird? I haven't this year at all. So I hadn't watched any until last night, and then Angel and I sat down and we watched some track and field, we watched some swimming, we watched some fencing, like all that stuff. I don't know what it is about these like these kind of fringe events that are not main sports. Yeah. They just suck you in. Like yeah. even when there's no American that is competing to win a gold or whatever, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I thought swimming was Watching, we watch several swimming events. They're fascinating. Usually, I am like all in on yeah. USA swimming. Like, I will be a- asking Andrew questions. I'll be like all about it. And this year, I just haven't for some reason. I, you know what? I bet it's because I haven't been sleeping much. I think. Why is and that? I'm kind Daniel? of out of it on everything. <laughs> but I think that's why this year. But no, the first real Olympic stuff that I've watched was yesterday. Went to breakfast with some friends, and they had it up on the. I was going to say that was the only and, Olympic stuff I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew was there, and there was handball and women's handball, and it was like the Netherlands versus Norway or something like that. And I was like, "Oh wow, they are amazing at what they're doing." And then they went on to fencing, and we had this big conversation about how fencing apparently isn't like parrying and like you know what you'd see in Princess Bride. It's so different. It's right? just like. Oh, poke! Oh, I poked you first. <laughs> my, my my reaction to fencing was this is so much different what I, from what I thought it was going right? to be. Right? Anyway. Me too. Um, so congratulations to Tyler Bates of Aberdeen. Yeah. You're the athlete of the week and you got I side tracked us and yes. derailed us into a little Olympic competition <laughs> yes, talk. Tyler. But Tyler Bates, congratulations. Huge deal. Well done. That is amazing. A national level and that is really exciting to see because I can only assume that what he's going to be doing the local level in track and field is going to be pretty exciting as well. And maybe, maybe who knows, maybe we'll have another collegiate thrower coming from this area because it seems like we've had a ton. Right. And I don't know, maybe maybe Grace Harbor should just be called like Throw Harbor or something like that. Throwber. Throw. <laughs> uh, maybe Throw Harbor is better. <laughs> like Throwber. Anyway, um, we're going to move on. I want to give the poll results from last week's show. Okay, do, so do we want to know the poll results? Yeah, what was, no, the, what was the poll? I'll give you all the polls. I'll give them to you right, right one after the other. Here, the so North here's poll? here's the South Pole. <laughs> here's the uh, here's the first one. Is seagulls or gulls a good mascot for a sports team? Oh, so yeah. in case you missed it, I went on a massive rant and <laughs> tore down Raymond High School uh, and their <laughs> last week and gave them a hard time and told them to change their name and be better. Um, so, is seagulls or gulls a good mascot any, for a sports team? Did anybody from Raymond get I, upset at you? I did not get any blowback. Wow. But I, it's possible nobody from, nobody from Raymond heard it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but 52% of the people who voted in this poll agree with me that that's not a good name for a sports team. <sighs> Convincing. 52%. Okay, I here I voted. Was, did I vote on that? I'm not sure. I don't know. Here's the next one. Uh, and this one this one actually got a lot of votes because it picked up some steam in South Bend. Um, there we go. But what mascot should South Bend High School choose? And this was, if people didn't listen last week and you're not sure, South Bend used to be the Indians. They were legally required to change their name. And basically what happened was the school district tried to get public input. They didn't get enough public input. They said, fine, we won't have a name at all. 
Um, and so they're just South Bend right now. There's yep. no name. Um, but the poll was, what name should they choose? Sea Wolves, Tsunami, or Riverhawks, which those were all part of their the options that they gave the public. And then we had our own one that Andrew came up with. They should be called the Sasquatch. So Sea Wolves, Tsunami, Riverhawks, or Sasquatch. The winner is Sasquatch, 34%. 34%. It was actually pretty even across the board, but 34% of people thought they should be the South Bend Sasquatch. I like it. I can get behind that. The next poll was, should the Seahawks try to bring back K.J. Wright at a reduced price now that the free agent market has dwindled? 82% of people said yes. Yeah, that's not surprising to me. Uh, but also, a reduced price would still probably be in the ballpark of $3 million, and I don't think the Seahawks have that right now yeah. unless they make a move. Also, I wouldn't want him to start. Because you want Daryl Taylor? I want either of the two young linebackers, Jordan Brooks or Daryl Taylor. You know, I don't want him to take playing time from I those think guys. Brooks is going to start no matter what and the question would be more like is it Cody Barton or Daryl Taylor oh I don't like I don't like thinking it would be Cody Barton yeah <laughs> but you know what somebody will get hurt and then snap him up real quick so here was the final question this one this was a part of my rant against Raymond because <laughs> what I thought was hey if South Bend can't pick a name Raymond Riverhawks sounds really cool. Now, I know that was one of the ones that South Bend offered as an option to their people. And I'm like, hey, you're Raymond? They, they can't get their crap figured out. You swoop in there and steal that name that they came up with. Well, 64% of people did not agree with me that Raymond should ditch the name Seagulls and change it to Riverhawks before South Bend can use it. Well, they're wrong. Yeah. But, <laughs> Daniel, since you weren't here, I know you're well-informed on this because you're a news guy. Uh, I wanted to know, Andrew and I talked about it, um, about the South Bend name change, but I was curious what you thought about what South Bend should do going forward. Because there was a really good news brief done by KXRO that had all this information laid out really well that not only did South Bend School District do polling in the schools, but they sent out 1,400 ballots to the public. They received only 77 of those ballots back yeah. and just said, hey, we can't get the community involvement, so we're just not going to have a name until we can figure it out. Yep. Do you feel like they should stick with that? Should they just pick a name? Or what exactly is the – do you know what the issue is there? Uh, you know, you said I was really well-informed. I'm glad you gave the recap. Well, I saw the look on your face, so I thought I'd better give you as much information as I could. <laughs> well, the story is fascinating, and I was really interested in hearing the Cliff Notes version. That was also during my paternity leave. Okay. So I pretty much unplugged from everything as much as possible. I personally think – I understand. I thought it was really cool – that they took the time, effort, and money and sent out all those ballots. And they wanted to know what the community would want because they're like, hey, we have to change this name. I'm sorry if you're upset about it or if you don't agree with it, who cares? We have to do this. I loved that they wanted to get the community involved. And then also I then understand why they would be frustrated because it kind of seemed like a frustration move to just be like, yeah. fine, no name yeah. after only getting 77 ballots back. So I get that too. Cause they put all this time and effort into it and everybody just pooped on it by not mm -hmm. sending in a ballot or letting them know. Do I think there might've been a better forum for them to do that? Like should have, they have done it online somehow? Maybe, I don't know, but I understand their How many frustration. Responses did we get on the Twitter poll? More than 77. Oh, we got, we got over 100 responses. But, <laughs> but that's coming from all over. You know, who yeah. knows if that's all from South Bend yeah, is right. the problem. Uh, yeah, so at this point, at this point, I wouldn't, I if I was them, 
I mean, honestly, what they probably should have done is they probably shouldn't have said anything about the numbers or how many people responded or anything like that. And I get why they did, because it's frustrating. They put a lot of time and effort into it. They should have just went with the one that was voted the most, Mm -hmm. said this one won, and gone from there. Now that they've said this and said, you don't get a name, I would think, hey, just pick a name. Like, apparently these people don't care. Just pick one. See, and that's that's what I was really trying to... What I was curious about and what I wanted to figure out was there were some undertones in the quotes from South Bend School that might have made it seem like not only did people not care, but the ones who cared were like, no, don't change the name. So I don't know if there was like some pushback on this because the community thought, why are you changing the name in the first place? But I don't think they have a choice. It's a legal issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's where they're at. Anyway, so uh, we had one more topic listed, but we gone kind of long, and I think we can save that because it has a good shelf life. We'll talk about Blazers another time, and there's a lot of stuff in the mailbag that I want to get to. Yes, right before we hit this commercial break, though, Yeah. all I'm going to say about this is about one sentence. Yeah. Sean Mannion is a Seattle Seahawk. Woo! Woo! And Daniel is no longer a Russell Wilson fan. Commercial break! At Olipen Real Estate, we have solidified our foundation on four core values. First, we continuously focus on growing our knowledge in the market and in our practices to bring the highest level of competency to our clients. Second, we provide a high level of integrity, compassion, and kindness in every aspect of our business. Third, we put the human element above business through humor, enthusiasm, and patience. And last but not least, we proactively respond to the needs of our clients. Our mission is to create a personal real estate experience, one person and one home at a time. With OliPen, it's personal. Thank you to our sponsors, Oli Penn Real Estate and the Law Office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. Whew, been a long time since I've said that. Nailed it. You almost froze. <laughs> I did. But I you got cut it. off so quick, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. But you mentioned Sean Mannion. The reason Sean Mannion is significant is because he is a beaver. Yes. He is a beaver from a time when Let's the beavers go. were good. Right? Ish. They were pretty good. They were a bowl team. Brandon Cooks was there. Yeah. They were an awesome duo. They Those two were good. Yeah. They won some games. The rest weren't so much, but, the, but those two were real yeah, good. They won some yeah. games. Yeah. And Sean Mannion hasn't gotten a shot in the NFL, and apparently he's resigned himself to being like, you know what? I just want to hang out on a good team that isn't quarterbacked by Kirk Cousins yeah. because <laughs> then I should feel like I should be the starter, and I won't get my chance to be. Now I'm going to go sit behind Russell Wilson and know, okay, I probably shouldn't be the starter, but you know, if they blow somebody out or if he gets hurt, maybe he'll get a shot. All right. Quick answers to some of these mailbag questions. Andrew, hit us with the uh, imaging for mailbag. Don't you don't have to knock your head. See, now mailbag. we have a good backup. Yes, Send the mailbag. <laughs> Send us your stuff in a mailbag. Okay, this first question comes from pa- Patrick. Pa 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 Patrick. I feel like <laughs> Kendrick Perkins trying to say Moses Moody during the NBA draft. <laughs> Did you guys hear that sound? No. He was like a Moody Moses a Moody a Moody, Moody Moses Moody. He seriously, literally, I'm not exaggerating. He tried seven times Gosh. to say it right, oh, and then eventually Reese Davis comes in and goes Moses Moody, and he sounded so <laughs> annoyed. I feel so bad. I've totally. Have you guys ever found yourself in a loop like that where you just can't say the words? I quit. I stop. Yeah. I find myself just going 
And it, but yeah. if I was in a broadcasting situation, I would just stop. Yeah. But I've definitely like in a, just talking with somebody and just panicked and kept trying. <laughs> yeah. It's that terrible. Makes you, me everyone think should... of Marshawn announcing the Kraken. <laughs> yeah. <bit>. yeah. <laughs> and he asked for help. And then Bobby Wagner came out and, and to give the next one and was like, I'm just glad mine's better than Marshawn's. That's, <laughs> that was a good try. All right. <laughs> I'm broke. First question comes from Pat Patrick. One of the most common baseball questions asked. Should you have a dedicated setup man and closer, or should it be anyone on any given day and put more focus on long relief? Uh, Patrick, I don't think you should put more focus on long relief. I'm not sure if you need somebody who's a dedicated anymore. I don't think a dedicated setup man closer is necessary is necessary anymore. I think that it's better just to have a bunch of good relievers, and you probably will save your best one till last mm-hmm. most days. But I don't think you have to go, okay, it's the eighth inning. Here's our eighth inning guy. And you no, know, you can be like, ah, eh, it's the eighth inning, but we feel like this guy's good too. So, I mean, maybe if you have two guys and they're the only two that you trust, that kind of happens. But I think the way that it's tended now is try and get a bunch of good relievers. And maybe that's what you mean by long relief. But I don't think generally what people think of as a long reliever is somebody who can throw like three or four innings. And I don't think that's really a focus or something that should be a focus is to have a guy throw that much. But maybe you mean something different by long relief. I like the idea of having a designated closer because like you pointed out with Graveman, there are certain specific things that you might be looking for in a guy who closes games. So I think getting outs, not allowing runs. Your best reliever, but usually a closer is a hard thrower. Um, You mentioned earlier, Daniel, the downward movement on a fastball, natural downward movement. So there could be specific things that you like in a closer. But as a general rule, like... Just try to focus on getting the best bullpen arms you can. Exactly. And it was interesting because they also used Graveman in different situations this year, too, which I thought that Service also did a great job of pushing those buttons. Like, hey, I know you're usually our closer, but the bases are loaded here in the seventh inning with one out, and it would be great if we kept the lead right now, too. So he did that a couple times. Okay, next question comes from Jimmy. It's a golf question. Does an Olympic medal, which you only have the opportunity for once every four years, carry the same significance as a win in a major, which you have four opportunities for every year? Obviously not, because not that many of the big-name players decided to go for the Olympics. So Mm -hmm. I think it would be really cool, because A, you're representing your country, and also for those reasons that you just said, but apparently... Not so much to the guys who actually would be competing in it. There's also way more money in a majors win. Like, not even close. <laughs> yeah. Way more money in a majors win. Yeah. Andrew, do you, do you have an opinion? For, do you get paid for winning an Olympic medal? You do, but it's not very much. So I saw this. It, it was like, actually, I saw a side-by-side comparison of here's how much all these different countries pay for Olympic medals to the athletes. And America is like one-tenth of what some other countries pay their Olympic athletes for medals. It's crazy. Huh. Yeah. So they do make some money, but I want to say a gold medal in America is worth like 40000 or 45000 or something like that. Wow. Yeah. I, I would say that the reason Olympic medals have meaning when they have, or significance when they have significance is because it's like a world championship. Mm-hmm. And if the best golfers are not all, like if all of the golfers that would play in a major are not playing for the the gold, then it isn't as significant. Yeah, it kind of stinks because it's cool yeah. to have an international 
championship. But if all if the best players aren't participating, then it isn't really a championship. Yeah, and that's why some people get upset when they hear about some of the Olympic events, and they're like, "Well, baseball's not even an Olympic event," which it is at the moment. But I think to your point, that's not deciding who's the best baseball team because all the best baseball players aren't playing. It's the same with yeah. basketball. Like we we have the best basketball in other situations. So I don't know. I, I think that's an excellent point. All the other events are much more heavily weighted because it's like you're the fastest man on the planet. The yeah. fast the actual fastest guy isn't chilling at home because he's got another race in a couple weeks, you know? DK Mecca. <laughs> I'm just joking. I know he's not that fast. Okay, so rapid fire on a few questions from Francis, and I'm not going to make you guys answer these unless you want to. Should I ask you them? (laughs) Sure. So Francis asks, are the long-suffering Lakers finally going to get it done with the addition of culture killer Russ? So adding adding Russell Westbrook to the end of the big three there, I already mentioned earlier, I think it may help him in the regular season. It might help LeBron keep his legs uh, towards the end of the year, but I do not think it's going to be functional in the playoffs. So I'm going to say no. Is LeBron trying to make the Showtime Lakers the West Coast version of the Nets with their dysfunction? I like that he adds <laughs> with their dysfunction because the Nets big three might be like literally the most dysfunctional group of three great players that have ever played together. They're also very unlikable. Um, I think and they were also very successful until they got hurt. So true. But see, that was what I was going to say is that if the Lakers are trying to make a version of what the Nets did in the Eastern Conference, they have failed because the Nets have really versatile scorers who at the top of their game can score on all three levels. And the Lakers do not have that. And also, if you took those six guys and you put them in a draft and it was like, hey, we're going to pick three on three. Russell Westbrook is the last guy picked every single time. Oh, the let's see. Uh, will the show on the court for the Lakers next year be better or worse than Space Jam 2? Everything Francis has seen says it's bad. It's real bad. I, <laughs> I loved Space Jam 2. I think it was... Yeah, of course it did. It had LeBron in it. <laughs> I think it was excellent. And uh, I felt shocking. like LeBron's character, and people were hammering LeBron's character. He... Dads who have children and you're trying to balance their lives will 100% relate with LeBron's struggle in Space Jam 2, okay? LeBron is relatable. That's the only time I'm ever going to say that. The movie is great. The Lakers will be less good than the movie. I think the only thing that I've seen, because I only watched the Honest trailers, the only point they brought up is LeBron's character seems so much different from who he is in real life. Yeah. I think that's true. So his, his Space Jam LeBron isn't real LeBron. No, but it's... Okay, a, it's, so no, just, he was playing a different character. I think so, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, if the Lakers win next year, does that mean Russell Westbrook... Uh, I can almost not read this. Replaces Gary Payton <laughs> as the GSSPGTBAL. <sighs> Greatest supersonic point guard that became a Laker. Uh, no, because... <laughs> <laughs> no, he does not, because Gary Payton... People are going to... People are not going to like this. Gary Payton's way better than Russell Westbrook. Okay, there, I said it. None of the people who listen to this show are, are going <laughs> to... No, nobody's going to object to that from around here, but I think nationally you'd get some pushback on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's it for the mailbag. Francis uh, hates me. Francis does hate you. He was very <laughs> excited. I was texting him last night. He was very excited about today because of the Russell Westbrook thing. He... Uh, he thought that you would not like it, and he was very excited about that. And so I was having fun reading those questions from him. Also, folks, remember, 
that Mariano Rivera is the most overrated athlete yeah. in history. Yeah. Daniel, you missed my side. I had a really good side swipe. You did you really? You did. Oh, can you? So I found an article that out. You remember the year that Mariano you Rivera? To the show. <laughs> you remember the year that Mariano Rivera blew out his knee shagging fly balls during batting practice? Yeah. Yeah. So he did that one time, missed an entire season. And everyone around the nation was going, oh, my gosh, how are the Yankees going to win without Mariano Rivera? Not only did the two guys who filled in for him as closer blow literally the exact same amount of games that he had the previous year, which (laughs) was four, but also the Yankees won 95 games and made it to the ALCS that year without him. Oh, how? How? How is that possible? I don't know. (sighs) Mariano Rivera stinks. Yes. (laughs) We have such a weird take on that. (laughs) Not weird, because it's totally valid. It's but valid. So valid. It's just so Count- different. I love Count- it. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. So for my co-host, Justin. There's nothing written here, Domashevitz. How about LeBron is relatable? <laughs> or my co-host, Daniel. He's back with a baby, Hargrove. And there's a producer over here. I don't know. I'm a producer. Andrew Gross. Andrew Gross. I feel me. Kept buzzing me every time I tried to answer an NBA question. And our producer, Andrew Gross. That was an overreaction. (laughs) Weekly reminder, Mariano Rivera stinks. (laughs) But seriously, do the Seahawks win less games if Russell gets hurt this year? (laughs) 